Hello, and welcome to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. Welcome once again to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. Julius here once again with Patrick, you already know. And so let's just jump right on into the NBA playoffs. We'll do a little NHL playoff talk as well on here. Uh, But we'll start with some NBA talk. Uh, When we last left you, we had one series decided in the first round. That was Philadelphia easily getting past Brooklyn. Uh, We're now at a point now where we are well underway with the conference semifinals. And so uh, we'll get into one of the first matchups, which is the New York Knicks going up against the Miami Heat. Uh, Just a quick recap of how we got here. The Miami Heat as an eight seed take out the Bucks, the one seed. And uh, this one's a little embarrassing for me. I picked the Bucks to to win everything. And so to see them not just go down in the first round, but to go down in five games, uh, that one was shocking to me, uh, even considering that Antetokounmpo got hurt, uh, hurt his back, missed a couple of games. Uh, the only game they won in the series was while he was hurt. So I, I don't know what happened to the Bucks. Uh, I do know that they completely choked in Game 5. After, to me, they blew Game 4 as well. But Game 5 was a total choke job. Uh, missed free throws left and right, especially with Giannis, to the point where he just threw the ball away instead of shooting free throws at the end of the game. Uh, credit to Jimmy Butler. Got to give him credit. 98 total points in the last two games. Uh, but to see a team in Milwaukee go 51-3 and three in the regular season when they lead after three quarters, to for them to blow huge back-to-back fourth-quarter leads and for the series to end with the ball in Grayson Allen's hands is just shocking to me. So that's how the Heat got here. Uh, the Knicks got here with the win over the Cavaliers. Uh, that series went for the most part as I thought it would go. I thought the home crowd at Madison Square Garden would be too much for the Cavaliers to overcome, and I thought the Knicks could win one in Cleveland. Wasn't sure they could win two like they did, but they managed to get one. I thought. Uh, Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart would be big in that series. Those guys did come through. And so the New York Knicks, with I wouldn't even call that an upset. I thought that was a 50-50 series. But the Knicks as the five seed with the marginal upset over the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, to advance to the conference semifinals. So now we've got a mess of a series, really. Uh, Miami wins game one. Uh, This is a game where Julius Randle did not play in. Julius Randle, who actually was playing well in the last game in the Cleveland series before he got hurt, had to sit out with a re-aggravated ankle sprain. Uh, Then we get to game one, and Jimmy Butler goes down with an ankle injury. He does manage to stay in the game because that's just what playoff Jimmy does. But he's hobbled, and we'll see what his status is for game two. And we're still awaiting to see what Jalen Brunson's status is for game two. And if all those guys are out along with Tyler Hero being on the injured list, uh, then what do we have in this series? Uh, but as far as the series goes, Miami's up one nothing. Uh, the bottom line was the game came down to, to for me, lack of three-point production from the Knicks and trying too hard with the threes. 
Obi Toppin, who was being forced into more playing time without Julius Randle, took 11 threes in, in game one. I don't want Obi Toppin shooting 11 threes. It's not what he, he was drafted to be an above-the-rim athlete, get down there, catch some out of oops, do not shoot 11 threes in any more games. I don't care who's missing. Uh, Toppin is a career 32.5% three-point shooter. I don't mind if you take two or three threes. You shooting 11 threes is a problem. So you combine that with the fact that Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart, again, my Villanova guys, two of my favorite players, they combined to go 0 for 11 on threes in game one. And for me, that was the difference. Uh, Miami still finds a way to produce more offense than I expected they would. Kyle Lowry is continuing to have a significant defensive impact coming off the bench. Uh, Gabe Vincent did get hot in this game and made five threes. Those are all things that can happen, but better shot selection from the Knicks would have helped them out. And although Julius Randle can run hot and cold, and I know Stephen A. Smith likes to complain because the ball slows down when Julius Randle is out there, you could see that the Knicks missed Randle in game one. Let's not forget that Randle is a guy that's averaging 25 and 10 this year. You don't just lose a guy who's that productive and all of a sudden become a better team. So they're going to need Randle. They're going to need the good Randle to show up. They're going to need Brunson to bounce back, but they're going to need these guys to be on the court. Uh, but again, that said, playoff Jimmy, who's, who's doing his thing throughout the postseason, once again, if he's unavailable, then again, what does this series become? It's almost impossible to predict right now because you can't tell who's going to be healthy. If both teams are at full strength, give me the Knicks. But right now, I don't know about you, Patrick. This is a total toss-up for me. Um, yeah, because the NBA does dumb scheduling, uh, I'm just going to keep my predictions to what they were before anything happened, just to be fair to the podcast and our listeners. Um, I had the Heat beating the Knicks. Uh, if both teams were at full strength, that's what that's what I would do. Um, and, and I'm just going to roll with that, even though Jimmy Butler may or may not play. And if he doesn't play, obviously I don't like the Heat's chances. Um, but again, I, I picked the Heat uh, to beat the Knicks going into this, but I also picked the Cavs to beat the Knicks, so we saw how that played out uh, to, to get here. Um, I'm just disappointed to go back uh, and talk about how both teams got here. Definitely disappointed in Milwaukee. I thought they would be in the Eastern Conference Finals for sure, uh, at the minimum. Uh, again, Giannis only played two full games in this series, and the Bucks lost both of those games. Um, not saying he didn't play well in those games, but his free throw shooting and as Julius talked about, some costly turnovers. Um, they just didn't get it done. And then we know Giannis is a great defender. I'm putting him on Jimmy Butler if Jimmy Butler's going to be dropping 50-plus points on us. I just don't understand what the idea was uh, with Milwaukee down the stretch there and, and you're sending help. Just let anyone beat you besides Jimmy, Jimmy Butler. Um so I just, yeah, I'm shocked that the Heat and playoff Jimmy is a real thing. And, and shockingly, the team that had the lowest points per game in the regular season are leading the playoffs in points per game, and that's the Miami Heat, <laughs> without their second leading scorer in Tyler Hero. So that just goes to show you uh, playoff Jimmy and the Heat and turn it up in the playoffs, and Bam Adebayo is not having a good playoffs either. So Kyle Lowry has shown up for them. Uh, Jimmy Butler has obviously shown up for them. And even Kevin Love with some timely charges and, and outlet passes is showing up for them. Uh, so 
Um, shout out to Spolstra and, and this and this Heat team. Um, without Jimmy Butler, it's going to be hard. But the Knicks might be without Brunson and Randall. So uh, just injuries, injuries. We talk about injuries this entire playoffs, and, and injuries are just the, the theme of the NBA playoffs. And that NBA needs to get it together because you resting players and load management is not working, obviously. Um, Mikael Bridges played the most games. Uh, he played all games. I talked about Derek White played in all 82 games earlier on the and and so those are the guys that you should be looking at. How are you guys playing all the games with significant minutes? It's not even like these are guys that are coming off the bench playing 10 minutes a game. These guys are playing 30 plus minutes a game. So, um, and the guys who are playing 50 games in a, in a season can't even get through the playoffs. So, um, we, we, they got to look at something. And then the Knicks completely. Dominated the Cavaliers in their in their series. I did not see that coming. Um, no disrespect to the Knicks or anything. I just thought the Cavs team would play how they played in the regular season, and they did not. They it. I don't know why this happens with Donovan Mitchell teams, but in the playoffs, it becomes. I feel like young LeBron teams where the guys just pass it to Donovan Mitchell and they look at him and say, "Make a play for us." The only game they did win in the series is when Donovan Mitchell was more of a facilitator. Versus a go get us forty points type of guy, and then you got Mobley and Garland involved, and and even Allen, Jared Allen, and and, and Karis Levert, and all these guys got involved, and they all scored twenty plus points, fifteen plus points, and that's when the Cavs are their most dangerous. Is when everyone's getting involved, not when they're all sitting there looking at Mitchell make a play for us. But I feel like that has happened with Donovan Mitchell teams going back to Utah in the playoffs. Um, and it's been proven that that doesn't work. You can't just pass to one guy and look at him. The, the team has to do something. Um, so Knicks won that series, um, and, and we have an 8-5 matchup. And that means the Knicks or the Heat are going to make the Eastern Conference Finals. And, and if you asked anyone at the beginning of the season if that would happen, it would have been a no. So um, shout, out, shout out to these two teams being in the semis. Uh, Madison Square Garden I know is going to be rocking. They haven't had a meaningful playoff game there in a while so um this is this is a fun this is a fun atmosphere uh it just sucks that that three of the most important players on the teams are are hurt and are questionable to play in this playoff series um moving on to the next eastern uh semis we'll go with the 76ers at the celtics we already talked about the sixers and how they got here on the last podcast and they swept the nets uh which most people saw coming uh, and then the Celtics struggled to close out the Hawks, but they finally beat the Hawks. Um, and again, I'm just going to go off of what I predicted going into this series. Knowing Embiid was hurt, I had Celtics winning this. Uh, after tonight, that doesn't look as promising. Uh, the Celtics, who were one of the best defensive teams in the league in the regular season, I feel like we're going opposites than the playoffs, Julius. You had the Heat, who couldn't score. <laughs> And now they're the leading team scoring in the playoffs. And then you have the the Celtics, who are one of the best defensive teams in the league, now looking like they don't know how to play defense. Um, and and Harden went off for forty five tonight, and he looked like I want to say he looked like vintage Harden, but even vintage Harden didn't score forty five in a playoff game. This is his highest points in a playoff game, so I, I don't even know what type of Harden this was. But he was efficient. He was making plays. Uh, he was doing his signature step back three, and 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 it was, he was cooking tonight. Um, again, I picked the Celtics to win the series before the series started, and I'll stick with that just for uh, the li- the listeners. It's not their fault. The NBA does dumb scheduling, um, but 
the Celtics need to get together. And, and we talked about this all playoffs and regular season that teams don't know how to close out teams. Uh, the Celtics were winning 62-50 to 50 with about four minutes left in the second quarter. And that the halftime score was 66-63. to 63. So um, they, they were controlling the paint and they were dominating in the paint without Embiid there. And, you know, just dumb turnovers. Uh, they were up by one with the ball. And they had a shot clock violation that wasn't a shot clock violation that turned into a fast break because they, they no one won to shoot and they just tried to pass it out with 0.6 seconds left on the clock and, and Maxi got an easy layup to take the lead. And on the very next possession, Marcus Smart goes up for a layup, tries to pass it off to Tatum, then Tatum pushes Reed out of bounds and they didn't even get a shot up with the two possessions, one leading and one down by one. They didn't even get a shot at the basket and that's just a terrible way. To, to end a, a playoff ser- a playoff game at home. So uh, I don't think Harden is going to get 45 every night. And so I think they're, they are going to need Embiid to come back to win this series, and we just don't know with his knee what's going to happen. But uh, I am not as confident in the Celtics winning the series as I was uh, before game one tonight, Julius. Um, and, and the way they played the Hawks, too, to get into the series, uh, even without DeJounte Murray and they struggled, I, I just don't know what's going on with them. Yeah, if you had asked me before the playoffs started who I would take to win this series, I would have said Boston. But I'm somebody who likes defense, and I am just concerned with what I'm seeing defensively from the Celtics. Everything started out as expected, the first couple games against the Hawks, but the last four games of the series against the Hawks, even though you ended up winning you know, enough of them, every game the Hawks were scoring 120-plus points. And like you said, Patrick, I'm like, what happened to the Celtics defense that for the last couple of years is supposed to be pretty good? I just don't understand how, like, like in the Hawks series, even in the game DeJounte Murray was suspended, they still couldn't stop the Hawks. <laughs> so now you go into this game. So I'm sitting there looking at this team that can't stop anybody on a Hawks team that's been so-so offensively, kind of hit or miss. And I'm looking at the Sixers. They look like they're on a roll. And granted, the, the Nets just didn't have the horses to hang with them, to be honest. But I'm like, the Sixers look like the better team. So going into this thing, I'm saying, okay, Sixers. Then Embiid, you get the news about Embiid being out for this game. And we're not sure when he's coming back. Uh, there's a possibility game two. There's a possibility he sits game two. So now I'm back leaning towards Boston because I'm thinking uh, Philadelphia without Embiid. Maybe the Celtics can handle that. But no, more bad defense. And, you know, I, I want to give James Harden his credit because he, he put on a show shooting-wise. Like I said, 45 points. Uh, we've seen Harden do this in a regular season plenty of times. We haven't seen it in the postseason as much as we would like. But we saw that tonight. Man hit some shots. You got to give him credit. Uh, my guy Tobias Harris continues to just be a steady producer. He, again, not one... A guy who's going to stand out and have, you know, historic performances or anything. But anytime you need him to step up, it seems like he's right there willing and capable of giving you 16, 18, 20, 22 points. He seems like somewhere in that range, Tobias Harris can get you that if his role requires it. So if you're not going to stop Harden, you're not going to stop Maxi, not going to stop Harris in a game where Embiid's not there. 
I'm highly concerned about the Celtics. And, and this is at home. The good teams are supposed to show up and defend home court. And we've seen too many times. We saw the Celtics have an opportunity to close the Hawks out at home. Couldn't do it. Again, a shorthanded Hawks team. Couldn't do it. Now you have game one at home against the Sixers. Can't beat them. In a half, like you said, in the first half, the Celtics shot over 70% from the field. You're supposed to be crushing somebody if you shoot 70% from the field for a half. To only have a three-point lead shooting like that, you're not going to shoot 73% the whole game. So you're just seeing one concerning sign after the next from Boston. And if they're just not going to play defense, I don't see a path to them winning this series whether or not Embiid plays. That, that's where I am with this right now. The Celtics, if they're going to play defense like this, Philadelphia is going to win this series. And they may they might win it quicker than any of us expected it for, for them to. All right, let's go over into the West. I'll save the most anticipated matchup for last. Uh, so we'll get into a little bit of Denver versus Phoenix right now. Uh, so Denver, of course, beat uh, the Timberwolves in the first round. I'll give Anthony Edwards his credit. I thought Anthony Edwards showed some heart. He showed some fight. He came ready to play. He bounced back because Anthony Edwards was horrible, horrible in the play game against the Lakers. But since then, he played pretty well, played very well in that series, and he was the only thing that stood in between the Nuggets and a sweep. So tremendous credit goes uh, to Anthony Edwards for the effort he gave. I would have loved to see more from Carl Anthony Towns. I just it's, it's the same old story with Towns. He's too talented to keep settling for these flat foot threes. I know he takes pride in being the greatest big man shooter of all time. And that those are his words, not mine. Uh, but again, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I just, I just want to see more balance out of him. I want to see him attack the basket more. He's got the talent to do it. Uh, so I just would like to see him do that more. Uh, the Timberwolves are going to have to figure out this Towns and Gobert thing. They're stuck. They're stuck. It's not like they can trade Gobert away. It's not like they can trade that contract away or anything else. They are stuck. They got to figure it out. Uh, other teams have figured out awkward fits before, and Minnesota's going to have to figure that one out, and that's just the bottom line there. Uh, but, yeah, the Timberwolves, just not much of a fight, but uh, they weren't really expected to give a fight, so I uh, can't be too mad with them there. Phoenix, of course, uh, gets to advance into the semifinals with pretty much a gift win over the Clippers. Um, we knew with Paul George being out that the Clippers had their hands full. Then Kawhi Leonard goes down, and then you knew, knew it was over for real. I just want to take a quick moment to say that people got to stop with Kawhi Leonard because there were too many uh, comments about how he's not really hurt. He's just He doesn't love the game enough. You know, and then personal stories about his family came out. Stories from years ago, by the way. It's not breaking news about what was going on with his uh, family situation. And people saying that that's the real reason he was sitting out, as if a player would sit out because of a family situation but still attend the game. Use some common sense, people. So now the news comes out that Kawhi Leonard has a torn meniscus and tore it in game one. But there's not a single person on earth, because it's Kawhi Leonard and not their favorite player, Okay, they're not going to give any credit to Kawhi Leonard for having an excellent game two on a torn meniscus. Everybody loves Kobe Bryant for shooting free throws on a torn Achilles, 
But this man played a whole game on a torn meniscus and won't get any credit for it because people don't like him. And that's just ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, Russell Westbrook showed that he still got some stuff left in the tank. Averaged 23 points, seven rebounds, seven assists in this series. Unfortunately, he had the horrible game one shooting game where he did everything else to help win, but the shooting was bad. And then with this series on the line, uh, another horrible shooting game from Russell Westbrook. So he showed he had some stuff left in the tank, but he still got to show that he can thrive in a third option kind of role because that's the at best what you're going to be uh, with the Clippers next year. And that's if you're back. I, I hope he is back because the there's a natural fit there, but uh, he's going to have to adjust his game to some degree because he cannot be the best player on a good team. So getting into Denver versus Phoenix. This, this series so far was easy to see coming. Uh, we'll see what it looks like in Phoenix, but the bottom line is the depth is just too is just too much of a massive difference in the depth. It's not too much to ask for Kevin Durant and Devin Booker to cancel out Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. I think that's a fair fight. Once you get beyond that, it goes downhill for Phoenix in a hurry. You're talking about a guy like Aaron Gordon. Aaron Gordon could have made the all-star team this year. That, that's how well he's been playing. Aaron Gordon, who had 23 points in game one, by the way, he's going to outperform the third best player on the Suns, Chris Paul. And of course, now Chris Paul's injured, so the shot in the dark of who the third best player is. Michael Porter Jr. can go out on any given night as a fourth option and get you 20, 25 points. On an average night, he'll get you 15. DeAndre Ayton, not going to do that. By the way, DeAndre Ayton needs to be locked into a room and watch nothing but Kevin uh, Kevon Looney highlights for 24 hours. That's what should happen to him. But he's not going to match Michael Porter Jr. So their third best player is way better than your third best player if you're Phoenix. Their fourth best player is way better than your fourth best player if you're Phoenix. And then what? <laughs> Denver has more guys they can throw at you. Bruce Brown on any given night can get you 12 points, eight rebounds, six assists. Who, who can do that? For Phoenix, nobody outside of the big two. You know, Contavious Caldwell Pope on any given night can make five threes in a game. Nobody's doing that for Phoenix outside of the big two. This series to me is almost a no contest because once you get outside the big two, there's nothing else. You look at a game like tonight, Kevin Durant didn't have a great night. Jamal Murray didn't have a great night. Jamal Murray can afford to not have a great night. Kevin Durant does, cannot afford that. That's the difference in this series. The only chance Phoenix has is literally Durant and Booker, and they're capable of this, but it's a lot to ask. They're going to have to average between 70 and 80 points a game. As ridiculous as that sounds, that's what it's going to take for Phoenix to have a chance in this series. They have got to do that night in and night out, get you 70 to 80 points. If those two combine for 50, 55 points, their team has no shot. And that's a lot of points for two guys. But their team has no shot if that's all they're scoring. So this series is a lot to ask. Phoenix, I think, can win a game in this series, but I'm not afraid to say Denver should win this series in five just like they did in the last round. Yeah, um, I was highly critical of Anthony Edwards' play the first two games of his playoff career. Um, well, they had the play in last year, but you know what I mean. Um, 
of this season and um and uh he stepped it up you know he stepped it up the rest of the series um and and he had no one else follow him not Carl Anthony Towns not Rudy Gobert uh nobody nobody and um I'm shocked they even got one win against Denver but they did uh because Anthony Edwards had a hell of a game uh but then Denver Denver won and they're the one seed in the west for a reason um and the Timberwolves were the eight seed for for a reason um and then Phoenix you know, before this series started, I texted you and I said, I'm pretty sure Nuggets are going to win this series uh, just so we have this. Again, I'm doing all my predictions as if the games haven't been played yet. Um, and and based off of depth, right? And we, you just talked about it. Um, and, and you gave great examples of Jamal Murray hit some big shots down the stretch, but he had like four points with like four minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. Um, and the Nuggets were winning. Uh as soon as Chris Paul went out, uh, the the Nuggets went on a huge run. Um, but Chris Paul also groin injury in the playoffs, not shocking. It's happened multiple years in the playoffs, uh, going back to his Clipper days. But also, is it because him, Durant, and Booker have all had to play 40-plus minutes? They couldn't even close the Clippers out easily Every game. without Leonard or Paul George. They let Norman Powell score 30-plus on them, and Russell Westbrook score 30-plus on them. Bones Highland, I think, dropped a 15- or 20-point game in there. So the Suns aren't playing good defense. They're, they struggled to get the Clippers out of here without Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. So I did not have faith going into this series that they were going to be able to beat the Nuggets. Aiton, I've never seen this before. The ball's just bouncing around. He watches Jokic get like three offensive rebounds, and he finally goes, ah, I guess I should run from out of bounds and try to contest this shot. Durant's just it's looking at him. Durant's just looking at him like, uh, what do you want me to do? Um, I just I've I've never seen and I know the Suns wanted to keep him, and 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 that's why they signed him to the big contract. They matched the contract from whoever made the offer on him in the offseason. But I personally would have rather them kept Mikel Bridges and let Aiton go somewhere else and just get another big man that will give you tough, gritty minutes. I feel like they they don't have that in Aiton. Aiton's a former number one overall pick. You know, I thought he was going to have a much better NBA career. Than, I'm not saying he's having a crappy one, but it's just not one that you expect from a number one overall pick to just not have a motor. I feel like he just picked basketball because he was tall and he knew he could get a paycheck out of it. That's just That's just what it feels like when you watch him play. Um, and that's probably why Monty Williams did get into him last last playoffs, and that's probably why there was a falling out because he just doesn't play hard when you need him to play hard. He just there's no motor in in the guy. I feel like he could easily get mid range jumpers and and a back to the basket game that you just don't see from him. And 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 like Julia said, if if Booker and and Durant, I'm pretty sure they still averaged sixty something points tonight, and they still lost. So with CP three out. Uh, of the game they're going to need other guys to step up on defense and now they don't have a true facilitator that can get them easier shots so that's i think that's why durant was a little bit more inefficient tonight than he normally is but booker and and durant are going to have to like you said 70 80 points a game and that still might not be enough to to win a game Uh, again the nuggets won by 10 tonight and that was with jamal murray struggling bad from the field he did good on the defensive end but he just struggled to score, and that's their second scorer behind Jokic. 
And you didn't even talk about Jeff Green. Jeff Green gives them minutes off the bench. So, and like you said, can can Tavius Caldwell Pope hit a big three in this game? Uh, again, and Michael Porter Jr. didn't really show up that much in this game, but he had he had some defensive stops, which is unusual for him. He blocked one of Aiden's shots. Um, and yeah, I just want to I just want to touch on your point about Aaron Gordon. I feel like a lot of people just consider him a dunker, and that's all they know him from with his Orlando Magic days. No, this dude is legit. And 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 then we talked about this during the season and how they made that trade last year. And and when Murray went down, you kind of saw him trying to find his place on this team. He knows his place on this team now. Everyone knows his place on this team. And you can just see how they play so well together uh, and how much faith Jokic has in him. And so is Jamal Murray. And, and that's made a ton of difference in his game. Um, and... And he is a legit option out there for them. And as Julie said, he could have been an all-star. Um, and and the Nuggets, if they don't, if the Phoenix is going to win a game, it's, it has to be game three. Because if they go down 3-0, I don't know if this team has the makeup to, to give it their all in a game four. So if they're going to win a game, they need to win game three, and then maybe they can get some confidence. But if the Nuggets win game three, I think this is going to be a sweep. I think the Nuggets win this series just because, again, I, 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 Jokic, even if he doesn't score 30 like he did tonight, he's most likely giving you 20, 10, and 10. But as of right now, he's averaging 17.5 rebounds in this series to DeAndre Ayton <laughs> seven. It's just thanks. It's just it's just absurd what Jokic is doing on the glass in this series, and it it's kind of embarrassing, honestly, if, if you're the Suns and. I know Durant wanted to get out of Brooklyn, and and they just did a fire sale. But I don't not I do not think this is what he was expecting when he got here. But this is what happens when you trade your draft picks and your entire bench to get one player. Uh, Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges leaving that team, it's showing its head now. When you get to a deeper team, uh, in like the Nuggets. Uh, and now the most anticipated matchup, even though it's a six-seven matchup in the semifinals. Uh, and shout out to the NBA scriptwriters this year, having every seed represented in the semifinals, first time ever in NBA history. Good job! You have a one through an eight seed being represented in this semifinals. It's the first time it's ever happened. Um, the Golden State Warriors versus the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, the Warriors go into Sacramento game seven. And uh, Steph Curry, historic night, 50-piece. He literally said, we're not losing this series. He put his team on his back after Klay Thompson tried to make Game 6 Klay be real and and shot themselves out of the game. And Jordan Poole is playing like a Looney Tune, uh, pre-Michael Jordan secret stuff uh, in Space Jam. Don't know what that guy's doing out on the court, man. I uh, tripping and stumbling all over the <laughs> all over the court. Can't grab the ball. I, I have no idea what Poole's doing. I, I bet you they're kind of upset with their contract that they gave him. Uh, Looney, uh, as jo- Julius talked about, eight needs to go watch watch a video of him. Twenty one rebounds. I just huge huge presence on the glass and defensively. Um, but again, Curry. Just comes out 50-piece, uh, does not let his team lose in a Game 7. Uh, I got to give a shout-out to the Kings, though. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, you know, um, 
had a great series up until Game 7. I don't know if his fingers finally started bothering him to the point that he was just like, I'm, I can't do anything, or if it was the defense uh, by the Warriors. But, um, again, another injury to a star player. Uh, but you, you got to give the Kings credit. Um, they didn't give up. They go in, They go Game 6 in, in Golden State, and they win where everyone thought that Golden State would close them out uh, to, to take it back home in Game 7. And shout out to the Sacramento fans. Uh, man, one of the loudest arenas in all of the NBA. Um, just a great season for the Kings. And then Golden State advances uh, to face the Lakers, who finished uh, Memphis off at home, uh, 4-2 to win their series. Um, you know, Memphis always gets a lot of hype preseason, and I know they were the two seed, but they've done a lot of yap in the last two years to, to, to have nothing to show for it. And I get you run into Golden State last year, and then Morant gets hurt, and then you run to the Lakers this year, and Morant gets hurt. But at some point in time, Morant needs to stop trying to jump out of the gym in every play. Uh, and with the rules as they are now, and Julius and I touched on this with the undercutting and taking charges, it, it's just it's going to happen. And and a lot of other NBA players have said that the floor has never lost a fight, but your knees and ACLs have. Uh, so you know, you know, I know that's a big part of his game, but. Uh, it's just starting to show its head two postseasons in a row, and that's too much of a coincidence for me, Julius. Um, but the Lakers dominated the Memphis Grizzlies in Game 6. Dylan Brooks asked for a 40-piece, and they lost by 40. So um, uh, it, it was just, um, again, they do a lot of talking for a team that hasn't accomplished anything, and I know the younger generation is very cocky and, and that's how they show that they're, they're confident and they're not scared of anyone. And I'm fine with that. I'm, fi- I'm fine with it. Just back it up. You know, I, I don't mind anyone talking as long as they back it up. Um, and Memphis did not do that. And then again, another disappointing season for a team that was a two seed. Uh, and even last year, it was a disappointing season for them to go out against golden state. So uh, you get golden state versus uh, LA and um this is going to be a hell of a series, Julius. Uh, I picked Golden State, uh, you know, to win it all out of the West. Uh, so I will stick with that just because I said they would make it out of the West uh, to start when we did our previous podcast. I do think the Lakers have a good chance to win this series. Um, unless Looney keeps playing the way he did in the in the King series, which I don't think he can do with AD personally. Um I, I I think the Lakers have a very good shot of winning the series. Uh, but again, Curry showed us why you don't bet against the Warriors. Um, and even going down 0-2 in that last series, they fought back and won. And they were down 3-2, and they won the last two. So um, as long as Curry's healthy and playing, again, we can't predict injuries. Uh, I will not bet against Golden State. I made that mistake last year, and it burned me. And like I said, I will ride <laughs> with them until they're out of the playoffs. But... I think this is the most intriguing matchup for me. Uh, we were really high on the Suns-Clippers uh, series until the injury mm-hmm. to Leonard, and now I think that this one's going to overtake it, uh, and I think it's going to go seven. Um, and, I, and again, I'm going to go with Golden State just because I picked them in our last podcast to come out of the West, but uh, this is a coin toss to me. I could see it going either way. I can't verify this. But my guess would be that this is the first time in NBA history we've had a six versus seven semifinal match that was kind of expected. 
You know, normally the NBA, we don't look at it as a tournament or a playoffs that's going to feature a bunch of bunch of upsets. But the six seed Warriors and the seven seed Lakers felt like favorites and ultimately lived up to it. Uh, you go back to the Golden State Sacramento series. There's, there's still certain things that bother me about what the Warriors are doing. The Warriors won game five in a fashion that they probably shouldn't have won it in. Uh, Stephen Curry calling a timeout when they didn't have one. Uh, then Stephen Curry taking a contested two-point shot with 10 seconds on the shot clock when you're up by one. So even if you make it, it's still a one-possession game. I mean, just mental error after mental error. Uh, fortunately for Golden State, the one mental error they didn't make in game five was they knew who to leave open. Harrison, I'll never make a shot when it matters most, Barnes. So he did what he does, misses the shot, changed the whole complexion of the series. That said, Golden State, a championship caliber team, a team that's been there and done it many times now, failed to close out a Kings team that had never been there before at home in game six. Again, more concerning signs from the Warriors. Now you get to game seven. And Stephen Curry and Kevon Looney just bailed out the team. That's the, that's the bottom line. Because nobody else really showed up for Golden State besides those two in this game. Uh, Stephen Curry becoming the first player ever to score 50 points in a game seven. The previous record uh, was Kevin Durant with 48 points. You know, the, the not clutch Kevin Durant scoring 48 points in a game seven. Uh, but now 50 is the record from Stephen Curry. And again, like you said, Kevon Looney coming through with, I think, 20, 21 rebounds, 10 or 11 offensive rebounds. Just And, and it's not just the rebounding, because Kevon Looney gets these rebounds. He doesn't immediately go back up most of the time. Normally, he pulls them down, looks around, and either finds an open shooter or finds an open cutter. He has become a tremendous passer off of offensive rebounds, and I think uh, that needs to be acknowledged as well with Kevon Looney. But... uh you notice that Klay Thompson went four for 19 in game seven and nobody's even talking about it. But yet people want Klay Thompson to be a top 75 player. He's, he's not. I've, I've talked about this on the show before. Klay Thompson's not a top 75 player. And that's okay. He's still a Hall of Famer. Still a great shooter. He's just not a top 75 player. There's no way you can be a top 75 player, go four for 19 in a game seven, and no one even discusses it. Because they know you're not a top 75 player. So let's stop having that discussion. Uh, one discussion I do want to have is just kind of the power of narratives. Aaron Fox, uh, you know, everybody was having victory laps with uh, the Kings emergence this year and saying that De'Aaron Fox had established himself and proven why he should have been a higher draft pick, why he should have been proven over, he should have been drafted over guys who just had bad injury luck and all this other stuff. De'Aaron Fox went 14 for 44 in game six and game seven combined. That's 32% from the field. And at 25 years old, De'Aaron Fox has never won a playoff series, not a single one. John Morant has one playoff series win at 23 years old. And everybody's saying, oh, John Morant's overrated. John Morant's a bum. John Morant's this. John Morant's that. Different standards for players who should both be comparable. Now you can say, oh, you, it's not fair to, to judge Fox because he was playing with a bad finger but you're judging John Morant playing with a bad hand. You see how that works? You know, it's just, it's just amazing how different it goes when people decide they like one guy and not the other. And it's amazing because just a few months ago, everybody was in love with John Morant. Everybody was 
I picked John Morant over Zion. I picked John Morant over Zion. Now nobody likes John Morant anymore. So now the tide has turned and now the narrative is starting to change. So it's just funny to me to see that now De'Aaron Fox is the guy everybody wants to hang their hat on. De'Aaron Fox is the guy that everybody wants to say, oh, I've been a De'Aaron Fox guy. I've been a De'Aaron Fox guy. But again, at age 25, and not to say 25 is old, but he's two years older than John Morant, and he's never been out of the first round. So when Giannis Antetokounmpo says there is no failure in sports, he's partially right. Because if you're popular, there is no such thing as failure. If you're never going to require De'Aaron Fox to get out of the first round ever in his career, then, then there is no such thing as failure for him. So, so I just want to point that out, that you know, these narratives get a little stupid at times, and I, I just have to call it out when I see it. Uh, that said, getting to the Grizzlies-Lakers, not going to spend too much time on this. There's just not a lot to talk about when you lose a deciding game by 40. Now, I give Memphis a slight bit of credit for taking it to a game six, but that's as far as I can go. You lose by 40 with the season on the line, that, that's, some, that's unprofessional effort. If you give a professional effort, you can't lose by 40. <laughs> that, that's just a reality. And how with the season on the line, and again, like you said, Patrick, all the noise you've been talking to just not show up at all is disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. The one thing I will say about this series is if you didn't know what the votes were, if you had just missed the entire season and just tuned in in the first round of the playoffs and somebody told you that there was a player in the Lakers-Grizzlies series who won Defensive Player of the Year this year, you would have said Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis was the Defensive Player of the Year in this series. Jaron Jackson Jr. too often was nowhere to be found at all. No impact. And... Here's the thing with Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is such a great player that he can have a series where he averages over 20 points, over 13 rebounds, and over four blocks, and people still say they want more from him. This is why Anthony Davis does make a top 75 list. Anthony Davis can't go four for 19 and not get talked about. So just want to throw that out there as well. Anthony Davis has got to get his flowers. Anthony Davis right now is still a top five, six, whatever the number is, player in the NBA. It needs to be acknowledged. So getting into the prediction for the one uh, semifinal that has not started yet, Lakers versus Warriors. Again, six versus seven matchup, but one we all thought would happen. We talked about this at the beginning of the playoffs, that the top three teams in the West, nobody was really talking about them. Everybody was talking about four through seven in the West. It's kind of... Weird how that worked out, but here we are with six and seven. Warriors-Lakers. Here's the bottom line for me. I trust Stephen Curry to be a superstar in this series. I trust LeBron James to be a superstar in this series. I think LeBron James and Stephen Curry in one way or the other will cancel each other out. Stephen Curry might score a little more, shoot more threes, whatever the case may be. I think the overall production... You're going to get your 35 points from Stephen Curry, maybe six rebounds, six assists. You're going to get your, you know, 28 points, maybe 10 rebounds and eight assists from LeBron James. They'll cancel each other out. I trust Anthony Davis way more than I trust any warrior not named Stephen Curry. And I'll take it a step farther. I trust Austin Reeves. I've been talking about this man for three months now. It's not a fluke anymore. 
Austin Reeves for the last three months has been one of the most efficient offensive players in basketball. I trust Austin Reeves more than I trust any warrior not named Stephen Curry. So with that in mind, give me the Lakers in this series, and I'll take it a step farther, and I'll say that I believe, and I have said this before, but I'll reiterate it now. I believe the Lakers are the only team in the West that can beat the Nuggets. I'm just throwing that out there now. But not to get ahead of myself, give me the Lakers to knock off Golden State here. Yeah, and just to touch on a few of your points, Julius, um, I feel like it's in basketball more than other sports. I'm not saying it doesn't happen in any other sports, but the narratives definitely change more in basketball because I feel like basketball is the one sport where people normally like players more than they like teams. You don't you don't hear too many people have a favorite basketball team anymore. It's not like you walk around and you're like, who's your favorite team? And people are like, the Wizards, right? And then it's like, I like Bradley Beal, or I like LeBron James, or I like this person, I like Kevin Durant. Like, you, It's more in basketball people like certain individual players versus like a team. So I think that's where when you're talking about these different narratives and, and people – giving people passes. Uh, it comes down to the GOAT debate. I feel like the GOAT debate uh, has has made sports media and, and the way people view sports and if something's a success or a failure. Because uh, you'll hear people, even in like football, right, nowadays, like people will question, is Dan Marino a top 10 quarterback of all time just because he's never won a Super Bowl? And uh, to me, that's just that's blasphemous. If you, if, you, if you didn't watch Dan Marino play football, just say that. Don't come up with these stupid narratives about is he a top 10 quarterback of all time just because he didn't win a Super Bowl. Besides golf or tennis, <laughs> those are singular you versus the field type of sports. So sure, let's judge greatness on championships. Um, but to solely base your entire debate on if someone is just good or not. I'm, even, I'm not even talking about the GOAT, Julius. I'm talking about if someone just had a good career or not. To just solely base that on championships, to me, is just lazy and ignorant to, to any sport because Charles Barkley is an all-time great basketball player. Carl mm-hmm. Malone, all-time great basketball player. Dirk Nowitzki, if he never beat the Heat, would have been an all-time great basketball player. To, to say these people because they didn't win a championship, are not all-time greats, Dan Marino. Um, there's so much that goes into a single team winning a championship any given year that it doesn't matter how great of an individual player you are. That You know, people like Allen Iverson, people love him, so they think he's an all-time great, but to say he's not because he didn't win a championship, that just again, it's just lazy and ignorant, and I just... That'd be like saying the Patriots team that lost to the Giants in the Super Bowl, they were about to be undefeated, and they weren't. To say that that team wasn't great, or like, like you said, people love Randy Moss, so no one's not sitting there saying he's not a great receiver because he doesn't have a championship. Mm-hmm. Or Terrell Owens is a better receiver because he has one. Like, I just, you know what I mean? It's just like a weird. It's just a weird. Uh, it it it's all comes down to just people's personal preferences of who they like and who they dislike, and and again, to me, that's just lazy and ignorant to to any of the games. So, um, yeah, people fall in love with De'Aaron De- 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 Fox now. If you didn't like him before, you, why do you like him now? Just because you got to watch him on national television? You should have been watching him beforehand. Like he he's been doing this since Kentucky. You know what I mean? It's, it's nothing new. Um, and same thing with John Moran. People loved him until recently. 
and now it's like, oh, F the Grizzlies, F that. But I also think that has a lot to do with Dylan Brooks and other people on the Grizzlies along with Ja Morant, not just Ja. I think it's a whole type of thing. But yeah, you know, it's funny that people love to see certain people fail and other people succeed. So I just wanted to kind of touch on that point that you made about um, narratives and, and when it fits and when it doesn't fit. Moving right along into the NHL playoffs, if y'all have not been watching, you have missed some just historic wins, losses, and just an overall amazing uh, start to the playoffs, uh, in my opinion, and this is not going to be a popular one, Julius, NHL might be the best playoffs for any sport. Uh, And the reason I say that is, it might have been the President's Cup trophies curse, but the Boston Bruins had the greatest single regular season in NHL history. Mm-hmm. Most points, most wins. They went up against the team with the least amount of points to make the playoffs in the Florida Panthers. The Boston Bruins were up 3-1 in this series and ended up losing 4-3 to the lowest-seeded lowest point team in the playoffs. Again, Panthers won two overtime games when they were down 3-1, and then they won a game six that was tied 5-5, and they ended up winning that one 7-5. So the Bruins up 3-1, had a chance to close out at home, didn't, lost in overtime, went to Florida, was a 7-5 game, came back home, and then lost in overtime again. And in Game 7, the Florida Panthers scored with a minute left in the third period. So Bruins are about to close this series out and give up a goal with a minute left to go to overtime and then give up the game-winning goal. Now, we talked about goalkeeping, and I'll talk about this more in another series. But listen to the first four games in this series. Bruins 3-1, Panthers 6-3. Bruins 4-2, Bruins 6-2. And then besides the 7-5 game, the Bruins only scored three goals in those other two games that the Panthers won. So the Panthers were giving up a bunch of goals, and then their goalkeeping and defense kind of reined it in. Again, they scored seven goals in game six uh, to to win, but um, this is one of my predictions. I'm not mad to get wrong. Uh, I think everyone had the Bruins winning this one, and, and they just didn't. Um, moving on to the Maple Leafs at Tampa Bay. I picked the Maple Leafs to win, Julius, in my predictions, and, and, and the Maple Leafs finally got over the Tampa Bay hump. Um, they won this one 4-2. Uh, the last one was an overtime win at, in Tampa, so that must have felt good for the Maple Leafs. Uh, they had not won a playoff series since 2004, and they've been a good team for a few years now uh, with Austin Matthews. And, and so... Um, yeah, so for them to beat the Lightning, uh, you know, they won three overtime games in this series. Uh, and after losing game one in Toronto 7-3, to they were probably like, oh, here we go again. But uh, good for the Maple Leafs to finally get a W. They haven't had one since 2004 in the playoffs to win a series. Uh, and like I said, I called this one and, and, and the thing. It was a good series. Uh, some high-scoring games the first two games and kind of came back down to earth. But uh, the Maple Leafs definitely came out and won that one. Moving over to the Hurricanes at the Islanders. Uh, this was a pretty uh, easy pick, in my opinion. I had the Hurricane uh, winning, and they won this one 4-2. And they also, which is very weird, 
clinched game six on the road two one overtime win, just like the Maple Leafs over the Lightning. So that's just a weird coincidence right there. Um, this was one of the lowest scoring series. Uh, a lot of two one games, three two games. Uh, the highest score was uh, Islanders getting five goals in one of them, and the Hurricanes getting five. Uh, but again, the Hurricanes, uh, it was a one four matchup. Everyone had them winning, so they 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 took care of business. And then going to the series I wanted to talk about the most uh, was the Devils versus the Rangers. I picked the Rangers as an upset pick, and that was looking good. Uh, Rangers won the first two games in New Jersey, 5-1, 5-1, to go up 2-0. And then, do you want to know what happened, Julius? We talked about it. Goalkeeper. What happened? The New Jersey Devils make a change at goalkeeper to Schmidt. And the Rangers scored, besides game six, when after the Devils won three in a row, Devils won 2-1, Devils won 3-1, Devils won 4-0, then the Rangers won 5-2, and you thought, oh, maybe they finally figured this new goalkeeper out. Game seven in New Jersey, series on the line. They haven't won one since 2012, so it's been many years since the Devils have won in the playoffs as well. A shutout, 31 saves. 4 nothing. Devils get it done uh, to beat the Rangers and to ruin one of my predictions. But, again, we talked about goalkeeping. The Rangers had 10 goals in the first two games of the series. They changed goalkeepers. In the next five games, the Rangers score a combined seven goals in five games. They had 10 in, two, in the first two. So, uh, great move by the coach uh, to get it done. Uh, and, and the Devils pull it out, man. They were down 2-0, and that's a huge two losses at home. They come back and get two on the road, go up 3-2, and, and the goalkeeping switch is the key to this win. It, it was just amazing how good Schmidt played. And, and again, a 31-save shutout in Game 7. Uh, he has No one else has done it in Devils history since... since uh, their their goalkeeper that went to the Hall of Fame and it's just really oh, impressive. Man, yep, Brodeur, and it's just amazing. And all that a little bit. Moving over to the other upset of the playoffs, uh, the Colorado Avalanche at the Kraken, uh, defending champs. Uh, the Kraken won. The Kraken pulled the upset in Game Seven on the road. Um, kind of like the Panthers, and and they won two one against the Avalanche. And it, it is only the second time that a, um expansion team has won a playoff series. And it happened with the Vegas Knights. So it wasn't too long ago that it happened. Yeah. But um, I was not expecting this outcome. I don't think a lot of people were. But shout-outs to the Kraken getting it done. They, they kind of slowed McKinnon down. Uh, the Avalanche were only getting goals from their top line. So uh, I, believe, uh, I believe it was in Game 6 they showed this. Or, or maybe it was Game 7. But... Uh, 12 of the 14 goals for the Avalanche were all scored by their fir- their, their line number one. Uh, so if people, if people don't know what that means, each hockey team has lines. So they normally have four or five offensive lines, which would be a center and then two wingers. And they just rotate them throughout the games. And then they have about three to four defensive lines. So you always have five guys out on the ice. Uh, their top line with McKinnon leading it uh, were the only ones to get goals. And that's not going to win a lot of games for you normally. And, and again, the Kraken pulled the upset there. 
Uh, and I didn't get that right, but again, I think everyone picked the Avalanche to win this series, and they didn't. So two historic upsets uh, in this NHL playoffs. And then to, to, to finish out the, the, first, the, uh, the first round, we had the Stars in the Wild. I picked the Stars to win, which they did um, in six games, so 4-2. Um, and just shout-out to one of the Wilds uh, center, Erickson Eck. He tried to play on a broken leg, and this is when you know NHL players are, are different than any other athlete. Why are you trying to skate on a broken leg? And how did you get 19 seconds on the ice on a broken leg? I just don't get it. Uh, <laughs> just, just wild that he would even try to do that. And then, Minnesota uh, wild. <laughs> and then the Golden Knights <laughs> beat the Winnipeg Jets uh, in five games, so four-one. Which again, most people had that happening. Uh, and then our Edmonton Oilers. It was tough. Yeah, they won in six games, and our guy Leon Drysaddle showed out with seven goals in the series. But uh, they got it done. It was a tough. <laughs> it was a tough fault series. They had three overtime games out of the six, um, but they ended up beating the Kings four uh, two, which was another one that we called. Uh, and so, just moving on to the next round of games, uh, the second round, you got the Maple Leaves at the Panthers. Uh, I don't see how the Panthers continue their their run, but they could, and because it's, it's hockey. But I'm going to go with the Maple Leafs in this one. I just think they have too much firepower. Even though Matthew Kachuk uh, for the Panthers is having a hell of a playoff, uh, so I mean, if he stays hot, he's going to have to compete with Mitch Marner on the other side and Austin Matthews. But Marner has nine assists in this playoff, so I mean, just you know, the Maple Leafs look good, but again. The, I don't think the Panthers can continue it, but it is the it is hockey, so it could happen. But I'm going to go with the Maple Leafs in this one, Julius. Uh, moving over to the next matchup, which would be the Hurricane versus the Devils. Listen, if if Schmidt stays hot, I don't see how the Hurricane win this series. But I'm going to go with the Hurricane, and I'm going to put my faith in uh, Aho, Sebastian Aho. Uh, um, again, the Hurricane weren't scoring a lot of goals in their first matchup, but. Um, I just think they're the better team, so I think they will beat the Devils in this one. I think it's going to be tight, though, especially if Schmidt keeps his hot goaltending happening. Uh, Stars versus the Kraken. Get the Kraken had lots of goal scores, lots of assists uh, in their first one against the Avalanche. They were the exact opposite of the Avalanche. Almost everyone was getting a goal or an assist. Um, I think the Stars are going to win this one. Uh, I just I just don't see the Kraken continuing their 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 play. I just don't think they have the same uh, guys that the Stars do. So I see the Stars winning this one. The one I'm most um, nervous about, the Golden Knights and the Edmonton Oilers. I think it's going to be the Oilers' hardest test in this playoffs uh, for now. Um, but they got to get through them, and I need Connor McDavid to step it up. I know he has a bunch of assists, but I need more goals from McDavid. Uh, Drysaddle has 11 points. He has seven goals and four assists. Uh, so he's been doing his part. Uh, I just need to see uh, uh, McDavid step it up for for my liking if they're going to beat the Golden Knights. Um, and yeah, so those are those are my predictions moving along in this NHL playoffs, Julius. Uh, you know, I enjoy this part of the podcast. Uh, I have said it before. I'll say it again because I don't mind saying it. Hockey is not an area of expertise for me. It is a sport that I am learning to enjoy and embrace more and more. I don't disagree with you at all as far as the NHL postseason, as far as professional sports. Uh, the NHL postseason ranking up there with 
anybody. Uh, you know, we talked about, you know, the atmosphere at like the Sacramento Kings games. You know, nobody had seen a Kings home game in the playoffs in almost 20 years. So different type of atmosphere, different type of energy. Madison Square Garden for the Knicks, different type of energy. If you watch the crowd for like the Seattle Kraken, when they're at home, totally different energy level even than what you see with NBA postseason crowds. It is just on another level. And just the energy, the intensity, it is infectious throughout the arena, whether you're a player, whether you're a fan, there's just a different level of energy out there. So that's one thing I do enjoy. Another thing I enjoy is the fact that we don't have to deal with idiotic narratives with sports that are less emotional. You know, people get emotional about basketball, so they say stupid things. People get emotional about football, so they say stupid things. There's idiot fans, and I, I say that, I don't say that lightly. They're not idiot people, but they're idiot fans when it comes to these sports. And I have to deal with this with hockey and baseball, which is why I'm starting to like those sports more and more, especially hockey. I've been a baseball fan for a while, hockey not so much, but now I'm a hockey fan. So when I look at a team like Boston, I've been talking about them for a couple of months and how they were on pace to get this record for most wins in a regular season. They ultimately get it. They get the one seed. They go against, like you said, a Florida team that just barely made it into the postseason. Florida beats Boston in the first round. You don't have to deal with idiotic narratives. There's nobody saying, oh, what, what does this mean for Patrice Bergeron's legacy? No, you don't hear anything that stupid because they lost one series. You don't hear anybody saying, well, I guess Brad Marchand's just not that guy. No, you don't hear that. You don't hear anybody saying, David Postonok had all them goals this year, but he choked with it better most. No, David Postonok would have had the game winner in Game 7, if not for a last-minute goal, literally a last-minute goal by Brandon Montour. So we don't have to hear these ridiculous narratives. Linus Allmark, who's probably going to win the Vezina Trophy, best, defense, uh, best goaltender in hockey this year, was benched for Game 7. Imagine if a star player in the NBA was benched for Game 7. We'd never hear the end of how that destroyed their legacy. So back to what you were saying, Patrick, with the whole, the whole GOAT conversation ruining basketball because it, it's made fans too emotional to understand what they're watching. We don't have to deal with that in hockey. You can lose and it not be a permanent stain forever on your resume. By the way, this is the third time uh, since 2014, I believe, that Boston has been a number one seed and lost before the conference finals. You can never get away with that in football or basketball. Aaron Rodgers could never get away with that. Kevin Durant could never get away with that. But the Bruins can because you have more sensible people watching these sports. Just want to throw that out there. Uh, that said, this was a crazy game. Like I said, Brandon Montour, a defenseman, with a multi-goal game, including saving the season with a last-minute goal, literally the last minute of regulation in Game 7. He ties the game up. And it's uh, Carter Verhake with the series-winning goal. If that name sounds familiar, Carter Verhage sent the Capitals home with an overtime series-winning goal. So this is apparently what he does. And you talked about Matthew Kachuk and the postseason run he's had, or at least 
the series he had so far against Boston. I just have to point this out. Matthew Kachuk was traded before the start of this year. Former Calgary Flames player. Traded from Calgary to Florida. Head up for Jonathan Huberdeau. Matthew Kachuk and Jonathan Huberdeau both played 79 games this year. Kachuk, 40 goals, 109 points. Huberdeau, 15 goals and, and 55 points. You think Florida did all right in that trade? I mean, I, I, I don't know if I've seen a one-for-one one trade this lopsided. It's, a, it's amazing to me. And that, that's made the difference in why Florida's advancing and Calgary's, well, you know. Anyway, I just, I just think it's been an amazing postseason. And Colorado, you're defending champions. The Colorado Avalanche lose in the first round. Like you said, it's an expansion team. Again, could you imagine? Could you imagine the Warriors losing to an expansion team in the first round? You, you'd never hear the end of how overrated that would make all of them. But again, in hockey, we can have more sensible conversations. We can understand that upsets can happen. And in, in hockey, Patrick and I have talked about this. No, really, there's really not much of an upset type thing in hockey. It's understood that any underdog in hockey is a live dog. Anybody can win any series. It's a beautiful thing about the hockey postseason is that, you know, you don't have a series like we had with the Sixers and Nets where you know it's over or the, the uh, Suns and Clippers where one guy gets injured and you know the series is over. Anybody can beat anybody in the NHL postseason. Anybody can get got in the NHL postseason. That's what makes it so amazing. So Seattle, uh, they win a game seven, uh, two to one. Oliver Bjorkstrand, you got to get used to saying some of these names in hockey, but Oliver Bjorkstrand scores both goals in game seven. He also had three shots hit the post. So <laughs> to score two goals and be unlucky, is a pretty strong performance, but Bjorkstrand, uh, he was a shots on goal monster all year, so no surprise uh, that he was putting the pressure on Colorado all game. And uh, in this game, Nathan McKinnon, who really should have got credit for Colorado's only goal, the goal went to Miko Rantanen, but if you watch the replay, it was McKinnon who put the shot on goal and barely nipped the jersey of Rantanen before it went in. I wish hockey would change kind of the scorekeeping a little bit, with some common sense. I don't think you deserve a goal because the puck barely caught a couple of your threads on the way into the net. Anyway, McKinnon actually had tied this game up in the third period. And then uh, Seattle challenged. They thought it was an offsides call. They were correct. The replay clearly showed it was offsides, so it was nothing controversial. But uh, that's how close it was to potentially going to another Game 7 overtime situation. Uh, so, yeah, congratulations to Philip Grubauer, goaltender for Seattle, who's a former Vezina Trophy finalist and a former Colorado Avalanche player who gets a little bit of payback against his former team. Uh, we talked about hot goalkeepers. Uh, Jake Ottinger was somebody who I talked about of the Dallas Stars going into the postseason. He had a good four-game stretch at the end of the season. Again, not against the greatest competition, but I just thought it was a good sign going into the playoffs uh, that he would be on a hot streak going in because we talked about the importance of goaltending, especially in NHL, how that position can have a bigger impact individually than any other position in team sports. 
the last three games of the series for Dallas, he only gives up three total goals. You're going to win a lot when your goaltender is only giving up one goal a game. I also want to give a shout-out to Rupi Hintz. He had five goals and seven assists in this series. He's leading the NHL postseason with 12 points. And this is somebody who has stepped up. Uh, Joe Pavelski was concussed in game one of this series. He missed the final five games of this series. And that's a key piece for the Dallas Stars. And so Hintz had to step in for a very productive player. And he has just gone off himself. So... Uh, he deserves a lot of credit. Not sure what the status is for Pavelski moving forward. We never know with concussions, not even for hockey players, as tough as they are. Uh, so Hintz may need to have a similar type performance for Dallas to survive in the next round. But I just want to give him his credit. And last but not least, you talked about the Edmonton Oilers. I am so happy to see my guy Leon Dreisaitl showing out. You, you said it, seven goals in the series. Uh, the Oilers scored 16 total goals in the final three games of the series. If they can carry any of that offense over, I know it's going to be a tough test against the Golden Knights, but if they can get any of that uh, going against a Golden Knights team, that you, you can score on Vegas. You can score on Vegas. They don't have the greatest goaltending. So I think my guy Dreisaitl can get it done again. I, I, I just That's my guy. You already know that's my guy. So I just wanted to end, up, end off on that note. But, yeah, NHL, I am quickly becoming a fan. I'm telling you that now. And in a couple of years, Maybe I will be much more knowledgeable on this, but you can see just how much I'm following it and how excited I am to talk about it. Yeah, and then as you were talking about, in hockey, you could have the best players or the best team like the Bruins did this year, but that puck can just take one wrong kick, hop, spin, <laughs> ricochet off of a teammate's skate. Um, and you just don't know where, where it's going sometimes. Or, again, a goalkeeper could be screened or can, as Schmidt did tonight, 31 saves, no goals, giving up, shutout in a game seven. Uh, that's, the, that's the beautiful thing about hockey. It, it, you can be the greatest, right? Uh, Connor McDavid, he, people will say he's the greatest playing right now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had a decent series, but to his standards, it wasn't good in the goal-scoring department. Um and and yet they're still advancing, but you don't hear them saying, "Is he not the best player now in the league?" Like you know, it just you avoid all that, those conversations. So exactly. Um, moving on uh, to just things, other things I saw in the sports world, and then we'll we'll let y'all go. Um, it was pretty cool that uh, Tony Finau won the Mexico Open in golf, uh, but after winning one point four million dollars. He was out there caddying for his two kids, uh, playing golf on the same course that he just won a major tournament at. I thought that was pretty cool to see. Uh, you never, you never get days off of being being a, being a parent, so that I just thought that was really really cool uh, to see. Um, and you know, and we j- I just learned that Jets are getting another uh, offensive lineman, uh, Billy Turner. Uh, if y'all don't know who that is, he also played for okay. the Packers and Nathaniel Hackett whenever he was there. So a nice little reunion uh, with the New York Jets uh, over there. Uh, Julius, what you got going around in the sports world? Uh, not too much else. We've covered a, a whole lot. Uh, the one thing that I thought was kind of cool was uh, Drew Maggie of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, for those who don't know, this man has been in the minor leagues forever. And he's just stuck with it and stuck with it and stuck with it. He is 33 years old. 
We got prospects getting called up at 20, 21 years old. We talked about that last time we talked about uh, baseball. Somebody like, you know, Zach Nato over in the Angels organization getting called up, you know, out of desperation from the team, uh, maybe a little earlier than he's ready for. I see somebody like Anthony Volpe get the call up from the Yankees at, you know, at 20, 21 years old. This guy, Drew Maggie, waited and waited and waited, finally got his turn, and he ended up getting the base hit, of course, against the Nationals because, you know, Kind of easy to get hits off of them, just just saying. But uh, finally, after all that time, for him to get his first major league hit, that was just one of those moments where everybody, I think, you know, even players on the other team just appreciate how you can sit around. And keep in mind, it's it's not a glorious life as a minor leaguer. Uh, you're, you're, you're riding around on buses. You're not getting paid all that much money. A lot of these guys have secondary jobs on top of being minor league baseball players just to, you know, support their families. So for a guy to stick with it that long just for the pure love of the game and to finally have his little moment, it was just a base hit. It, was, it wasn't a grand slam or a game-winning hit or anything like that. Uh, just a pure base hit up the middle. Uh, I was just happy to see that for him. And it's just a reminder, you know, just the cool moments, the cool little moments you could have in sports to just remind you that, you know, these guys are people. These guys have dreams that they're living out. It's just a fun thing to watch sometimes. Yeah, shout out to the AL East, the only team, the only division that doesn't have a losing record for any of their teams. And uh, last time I checked, their division record was like six thirty-five, and I think the next closest one was like four seventy. So uh, it sucks <laughs> to be in the AL East this year, especially for the Yankees, since Aaron Judge just went out on IL, uh, and they're fifteen and fifteen right now. But um, you know, Orioles are probably having one of the greatest starts ever in the last decade for this team at 19 and nine. And they're still four games back of the race. <laughs> so it's just, it's like, what else do you, they would be leading any other division. They would be leading any other division besides the central where the pirates are 20 and nine, but that's because they played one less game at 19 and nine, but literally would be number one in any other division, but because they're in the AL East, might not even make the playoffs even after this hot start. So uh, it just kind of yeah, sucks yeah. that divisions are still a thing in most sports because they were made back when people were bussing and stuff and not flying. I feel like you could get rid of that. You could keep, like, leagues. You could keep, like, the American League and the National League. But, um, you know, it just kind of sucks that it just doesn't go by record. It goes off of, like we've already talked about in football, you, you can just win a division with a losing record, and that just doesn't seem fair to someone who – could be in baseball 30 games over 500, but then a 500 team makes the playoffs. I, I just don't agree with that in, in modern day sports. I just feel like that's kind of a ridiculous concept now. Yeah. Get rid of divisions. They're overdue. It's overdue. Get rid of divisions. I actually like the idea, honestly, of having divisions for the sake of rivalry purposes, but for the sake of standings, I'm hundred percent with you. Just want to throw that out there real quick. I, I don't want to see a, a 19 to nine team have to be a wild card and a, 10 and 10 team get to be, you know, or 20 and 20 team, you know, get to be a higher seed because they won a division. Just throwing that out there real quick. Anyway, thank you as always for tuning in to Two Guys Four Balls. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. We're always grateful for your support. Check us out on Facebook, Two Guys Four Balls. That's the number two, the number four. You can check us out on Twitter, Two Guys Four Balls. We Keep the content coming for you. We're enjoying the conversation. 
Keep riding along with us. We'll keep you updated. We'll keep sharing these experiences and these conversations with you. As always, you're appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast.